Support for this podcast has been provided by Alliance Bernstein Investment Management and Research, making money meaningful. We have no other alternative. We have no big market in Israel. We have no real trading capabilities on land uh, around us. There is not significant natural uh, resources uh, um, that we can enjoy from. And there are not, I would say, huge export uh, companies. The only thing that we can do is having amazing tech. And when you have no other alternative, we become really, really creative. This is Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. My name is Yigal Marcus. Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we'll meet the entrepreneurs who have personified the economic miracle known as the Startup Nation, the State of Israel. We'll learn about the culture which helped incubate them and their ideas. We'll learn of their successes and of course their failures. And we'll explore why it is that Israel develops some of the leading innovators of our time. When you were growing up, Perhaps you remember the story of Walt Disney's Herbie, a little Volkswagen Beetle with a mind of his own. Perhaps you remember the bloom white stripes down his middle and his famous number 53 emblazoned on his hood. Herbie drove his owners crazy, at times locking his doors and driving himself around town like a maniac, all while his owners remained helpless while sitting in his driver's seat. Truly a car with a mind of his own. If you think this is fiction, I have a surprise for you. It is not. It turns out that automobiles that have computers in them, perhaps for cruise control, climate control, or braking, can actually be hacked into. Unless you think it hasn't happened yet, in 2015, 1.4 million cars had to be recalled because of an automotive attack on a Jeep Cherokee in which hackers secured access to the radio, air conditioning, transmission, and brakes. As computers become more advanced and are more ubiquitous in automobiles, the need to secure them against hackers becomes critically important. An Israeli startup company called Argus Cybersecurity has been developing solutions to protect your car. And last year, it was acquired by Continental, the huge European tire manufacturer, for almost one half of a billion dollars. We're very happy today to have with us Ofer Ben-Nun, the CEO and co-founder of Argus Cybersecurity. Ofer served as a captain in the elite IDF intelligence unit 8200. He took part in two projects that actually won Israel defense prizes during that 2005 until 2011 tenure. He has a bachelor's of science from IDC Herzliya with honors in computer science. He's also a graduate of the prestigious Zell Entrepreneurship Program and has also completed management and entrepreneurship studies at Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Ophir has been recognized by Forbes as one of Israel's top 30 under 30. On top of all that, he actually has a passion for aero modeling, which we're going to discuss with him in just a few minutes. And he also co-founded something called Campusville, a communication and e-learning app for students, given his passion to mentor young entrepreneurs. So first of all, Ofer, thank you very much for joining us. I know you're a very, very busy person and getting even a few minutes out of your time is, is a great honor for us. So, so thank you for that. I wanna begin by talking a little bit about your childhood. So I was born in uh, Rishon Lezion, about uh, 20 minutes south of uh, Tel Aviv. Um, 
was studying in the Gimnasa Realit, which is, I would say, probably the most famous uh, high school in, uh, in Rishon. I would say he was always a curious uh, uh, kid, and my main, mo- my main hobby was actually aeromodeling. Aeromodeling? Yeah. As a child? Yeah. That's a far away from technology. Actually, it's quite close to technology. How is that? Because nowadays, uh, Aeromodels has computers inside, it has uh, servers inside, uh, which are moving the different uh, um, steering uh, uh, components of, of the Aeromodel. So I would say very close to technology. When did you start in your technology career in terms of knowing technology, learning? learning? So I actually learned pretty much everything that I know about programming and cyber in the Israeli army. So at the 8200 uh, intelligence unit. Before that, pretty much has zero knowledge about uh, uh, coding. So they actually accepted you into 8200 with no knowledge of coding whatsoever? Zero. Zero. I think in that I was pretty much the exception. So you joined 8200 after high school? No. I was for one year first in the uh, pilot's course and then dropped after one year. You dropped out You dropped out after one year? Yeah. And you preferred intelligence? More than anything others. Wow. So you were to pilot school, you then dropped out, joined Unit A200, which is the premier intelligence unit in, uh, in Israel. And then what? And then you obviously met a whole bunch of people that have become very important in your life, in terms of your professional life. Correct. Okay. Who'd you meet that, that was relevant? So there I met pretty much my two co-founders, uh, Yaron Galula, our CTO, and Doron Lavi, the VP R&D. So we were actually serving in, in, in exactly the same uh, section of the unit. And I think there I also met uh, a lot of the, the people uh, that joined Argus later on, so our first employees, first uh, uh, key partners for the success of the company. And you focused on cybersecurity in 8200? Yes, we were in the area of cybersecurity. And is it, was it there that you conceived of the idea for Argus? No, I don't think so. Uh, actually, uh, when Oron Yaron and myself started working, working together, we were actually in the area of cybersecurity uh, for smartphones at the early beginning, and then moved into automotive, understanding that it's already a red ocean completely in uh, cybersecurity for uh, mobile devices, and there is not a real chance to be a market leader and to influence the world. And so instead you focused on automotive security, which at that time, that was early. Yes, that was October 2013, pretty much, when uh, we understood that if we really want to make an impact, it will not be in mobile cybersecurity. And then we kind of, we tried to think what are the key things that we need to consider when we choose our, our, our pretty much next venture. And we had pretty much four key criteria. The first one is to make an impact on the world. So what can we do that without us, the world will not be the same. The second point was that it has to be technically interesting because all of our all of us are computer programmers. We like technology, so if it's something 
that is not exciting technology wise and unique will get bored the third one was that it has to be financially viable because otherwise we'll not be able to raise money we'll not be able to make it and the fourth point that we have to have a competitive advantage over everyone else and we always had uh, um, the thought of what can we do which is better than the smartest kid that is now uh, graduating uh, Harvard uh, and that pretty much left cyber security and if you take the other three points it's clear that we have to be in automotive cyber security because that's where there was the biggest I would say vacuum the idea of having a connected vehicle in 2013 was still very early right you had Tesla and I guess you saw the trend coming there was also on star by General Motors right for many years before so and I think already then there was already BMW connected drive and Hyundai Bluelick was already published so a lot of companies were already speaking about it it wasn't yet implemented but I I'm it was already on the roadmap for most of the major OEMs at that time so actually uh, regarding Tesla the fact that Tesla is connected and looks to advanced does not them make them actually significantly more I would say vulnerable to attacks or the others which are connected with less advanced features um, less vulnerable the second that the vehicle is connected usually all of the electrical architecture is connected and the ability to disable the brakes is pretty much simple between most car vehicles so I wouldn't say that uh, um, Tesla is far more vulnerable than than, than the others. So things like OnStar, though, and even BMW Connected and, and, and others are, I guess it's, it's technology in the car, but those technologies weren't going to drive cars. Correct. Yet. Yet. Got it. So then you, uh, with those criteria, you then thought of um, Argus, you launched it right away. In October 2013, after 10 months in the areas of uh, mobile cybersecurity, understood that that's what we have to do yeah okay how did you vet the idea it was mostly a hunch because at the time after 10 months in another area where we understood that that wasn't good enough and understanding that these four key criteria are the decision making uh, uh, criteria then it was pretty much easy because we had a full score in each one of the four uh, uh, topics and That's it. it was clear to us that's the best thing that we can do for the world that it's financially viable because it's a huge market and it's standardized technology we have a competitive advantage if on on most people in the world because of the topic of cyber and it was extremely interesting because cars are complicated and fun and, and how did you raise your first capital from, from who did you raise your first capital so their first capital was raised from uh, from Zor Zisapel which is quite pretty much the founder of uh, the startup nation in Israel uh, from magma vertex uh, ventures mm-hmm. and from uh, a lot of the car importers in Israel and th- those are subsequent rounds or they were all together all together all together on day one all together on day one because we wanted to have a major round which is also helping us strategically so smart money early on you begin building your company you have the money you have the The, the key uh, personnel obviously bringing on additional senior people is obviously a difficult decision because 
you know, as they say, investors really invest on the jockey, not the horse, right? Great management teams with good ideas are invested, are, are attractive to investors. Great ideas with bad management teams are not. So what was your criteria in thinking about attracting additional executives outside of your founder group? Actually, it, over the first year, the focus for me wasn't to bring executives. The focus was to bring smart people, agile, um, energetic people that would really be leaders to execute. So we're looking for, I would say, the thinkers and the makers rather than uh, the leaders. Luckily, uh, some of these people uh, later on were also uh, growing and evolving to be amazing leaders. But the quick criteria was how can we have a group that is able to execute, to find the right solutions, creative people, and most important, team players. So people that every day when I come to the office and they come to the office, enjoy, enjoy spending time together. So high quality, smart team players, you know, the type of people that at the end of the day you'll want to have beeries. Obviously, the, the competitive landscape to hiring people in Israel is very difficult today because there are a lot of great companies out there. What did you offer these people, or what did you say, or how did you attract them to your business as opposed to any other startup that, that's out there that also sounds very exciting? That at the end of the day, instead of paying them, I'll smile. No, I'm kidding. Uh, well, that's, uh, I guess, one way to do it. <laughs> no, but really, I think it's, it's, it's the vision. So a lot of places can give good financial uh, uh, potential, if that's short-term or long-term. A lot of places you can have wonderful tech, but the vision is the key. So what are we bringing to the world? Is that really the best thing that you can contribute to the world with your knowledge, because you know, I'm always telling to my employees, if you have the ability to solve cancer, please don't come and work for Argus, go and solve cancer, this is more important. But if you're at cybersecurity or auto tech, probably Argus is the best place that you can be in from all of the different uh, alternatives because we are making really the world a better and safer place. And I'm not sure that you can say it on every single other company. Now that we are still growing and having the best talents in Israel joining us, um, it's mostly because we are still an early company, or I would say we are, the reason why working for Argus today is as exciting as in the past is because we are still a young company in an amazing field, which is pretty much still a blue ocean with the ability to really influence the world from the position of a market leader. Um, the exciting times are actually now. Um, and the key point is joining an amazing group of people. The other exciting thing joining us, I think, around technology where we are doing researchers that are pretty much not being done at any other places. Uh, it's a very small team, so the influence of every person is amazing. So both on the research, both on the development, quite exciting times. How real is the threat? Very. 
Um, but but it was already shown that remotely there is the ability to disable braking, take over steering wheel, uh, steal vehicles. Uh, eavesdrop uh, into the conversation into the vehicle and the data that is running in 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 the vehicle and you know that the vehicle is becoming a workstation so soon enough when vehicles become not only connected but autonomous it will be your second office for most people so cyber becomes pretty much one of the crucial points how different is automotive because at the end of the day it's a computer and it, uh, how different is that than just a desktop on your in your in your office in some ways it's similar right because you have computers but it's more like a network because in 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 an average car you have about 80 different computers so you should actually compare the vehicle to to a small IT company and even then the protocols are completely different so you don't have uh, tcpap over traditional ethernet but you have a can bus and CANFD and lean and most and flex and automotive ethernet which is a little bit different than traditional ethernet so the protocols are very very different and also the high level protocols like uh, um, doip diagnostics over ip and, uh, and and others so i would say it's more different than similar Let's talk about the exit uh, for a second. Obviously, you had a wildly successful exit when Continental bought you for what's reported as $430 million. At the time of the acquisition, can you tell us what you were doing in revenue? Not too much. Not too much. So you got an astronomically great valuation out of it. Correct. We had some revenues. Uh, obviously, that information is uh, uh, um, confidential. Um, but I, th I would say for sure that uh, that acquisition wasn't based on multipliers, but the potential of what we're going to do and how we're going to influence the world. Why did you decide to sell then? I think that we understood that in the world of automotive, and it's probably in most of the heavy and big B2B businesses, one of the key criteria for our customers um, is being risk averse. So most of the customers, um, will prefer to have a technology that is even two degrees lesser, but to make sure that we can really deliver, than to have the top-notch technology, but with the risk that the company will maybe not be there uh, tomorrow, or if there is some uh, uh, attacks on Israel, that there is no one in essentially to, to be able to, to deliver that. And we also need to grow up the company dramatically. By accepting Continental's uh, offer, it allowed us, in a sense, to triple the company. So at the time, we were uh, about 55 people. By the end of the year, we'll be about 160. It allows us to, head, to have the strong credibility that no matter what contract or project we'll take from any OEM in the world, it will be fully delivered you have a very strong and knowledgeable company uh, uh, behind us. And the best thing is that we remain completely independent. So most of our sales are actually to the competitors of Continental. So in a sense, I get all of this good, but remain completely a startup, an independent PNL unit. And I think that is very, very unique in the landscape of Israel. 
why is Israel, in your mind, a great incubator of people like you, of, of entrepreneurs with, with great ideas that, on a per capita basis, are more successful probably than any other place in the face of the earth? Because we have no other alternative. We have no uh, uh, big market in Israel. Um, we have no real trading capabilities on land uh, around us. There is not significant natural uh, resources uh, um, that we can enjoy from. And there are not, I would say, huge export uh, companies uh, uh, like, I don't know, the the Boeings of the world or, or, or the VWs of, of, of the world. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, the only thing that we can do is having amazing tech. And when you have no other alternative, we become really, really creative. And we think a lot. And I think the people here which are not afraid to fail, that are creative by nature, um, I think that gives us uh, the edge. And the last point, that we are really hard workers. So I don't think we are smarter than anyone else, but we work hard and we have to succeed. Looking back, who is the most influential person in your life with regards to, the, to this venture? Our chairman, Zoaz Isapel, by far. What is, the, what is the one question that it's entrepreneurs need to ask before they launch their startups? Assuming that we are talking about technical entrepreneurs, first-timers, to bring someone who is really experienced in executing a successful business. And for me, a successful business is not a company that was able to do a great exit, but a company that was able to become a sustainable business, profitable business that brings a lot of workplaces to Israel um, with significant, I would say, influence on the world. There are not too many people like that in Israel. Zohar is obviously one of them with all of the Rad group uh, uh, that was founded by him. When you have such a mentor, most chances that you'll do great. Um, but even if you cannot have that caliber of a mentor, you have to have someone that can support you in a tough decision. And every day we have a tough decision as young entrepreneurs. Final question. What was your greatest challenge in building Argus? Having the amazing team that I have around me. Finding them, training them? Having them train me. Got it. Thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it. After speaking with Ofer Benun, I wanted to do a deeper dive into some of the critical decisions the company made as they grew. I was given the opportunity to then speak with Yoni Halbron, the Chief Marketing Officer of Argus. First of all, Yoni, thank you very much for, for joining us today. I really do appreciate it. I know you're also very busy. Ofer um, was very kind to give us some of his time, but I, I do appreciate you joining us. I want to start with, with you personally. Mm -hmm. Why it is that you decided to join Argus? You, you were at you know, a couple of companies beforehand, you were at Nice Systems, which is a, obviously a very successful, huge company here in Israel. Why did you decide to, to leave all of that and to join what, in essence, was a startup? So, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, one of the things that, let's say, I have, uh, let's say, a certain advantage or a significant background is cyber. I spent a decade in the 8200 unit, so, and also had some things related to that while I was working at NICE. So cyber was something that I had as a, let's say, as a competitive edge on a personal level. 
But when I looked at the landscape of Israeli startups, or even on a global scale, uh, many of them do things which are kind of the same. All of them say, protect your organization, advance persistent threats, etc., etc., etc. Nothing that seemed to me unique and interesting. And before coming to Argus, I really wanted to be affiliated with a company that's doing something which is a bit different. different. And when I looked at Argus, it was really just being started. Um, I saw a significant problem or a challenge, which is protecting connected cars from cyber attacks. And I saw that this is a specific niche, meaning it's not like ever, everybody else is doing. This is something which is really different. And the ocean seemed to be blue at that point of time. Uh, which really proved to be the case. I looked at the team, uh, which seemed to me a very strong team. I knew offer uh, from the past. And also looking at the people behind the company, uh, the investors, if it's uh, Mr. Zisapel or Magma and Vertex as two really two of the most prominent VCs uh, here in Israel. So, To me, it seemed like a very good combination. Big challenge, great team, great investors, and a very specific niche within the market that nobody's really attending to at that point of time. So to me, the combination on all of that was, I would say, uh, the reason for coming to Argus. Now, you're, you're a marketing guy. You're the chief marketing officer of Argus. Mm-hmm. How did Shimon Matayim, Unit 8200, prepare you to be a marketing person? Shmone Matayim, or 8200, teaches you many things to be uh, creative, innovative, and again, in the specific roles that I had the pleasure of, of serving uh, at, uh, do things a bit differently. Uh, sometimes the well-known chutzpah, and uh, These are some of the things that I've learned perform well under pressure, multitasking, thinking out of the box. Again, this, these might seem like cliches, but it's really, it is, it is really that. So um, from my marketing career, uh, at least when it comes to marketing, I've been doing other things as well. Uh, these are some of the things that uh, the 8200 unit has given me in a sense. You mentioned you were there for 10 years. Right. So you were, a, at that time, a career intelligence unit mm-hmm. officer. Right. And you were doing cybersecurity in 8200 as well, or other things that you can't talk about? <laughs> as you said. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, let me ask about, about um, the company and the development of the company. Sure. Because um, you, you were relatively early involved. And obviously... When you build a startup, you need to, you know, there are certain relationships, certain, whether it's partnerships or even customers that make all the difference in taking a young startup and making it into something of, of, of very significant value. Mm-hmm. So thinking back on, on, on Argus, what were those relationships? What were those um, partnerships that made the difference? I would say that... Uh Listen, I, I joined the company in the middle of uh, 2014. 
That's about an hour, about a... Four and a half years ago. And that was about a year and a half after they launched? Uh, no, it was a few months after. A few months after they launched. Okay, Mm -hmm. so they launched at the end of 2013. Got it. Yeah. So at that stage, we really had a very basic prototype of of a product, and that's it. Uh, I remember after three days, three and a half days in the company, I understood that that's it. I finished my, my learning phase. And the following week, I was already on a plane <laughs> to, to Europe to start my meetings, uh, my business meetings. And at that point of time, there was really no market for automotive cybersecurity, to be very frank. So one of the biggest challenges uh, in the early days was to create awareness in the market uh, that there is a threat. Again, I remember going to my first meetings People sometimes looking at me at, as, as potentially half mad. Why? We don't understand that there is an issue here. Uh, and this is how things started. So I understood that one of the biggest challenges was, first of all, to create or slash educate uh, a market that was not really there. Chief education officer. You could call it that. <laughs> yeah. So in the beginning, I would say, so it's interesting meetings. First partnership that we had was actually with Checkpoint, world's largest cybersecurity uh, vendor globally that decided to partner with Argus as they understood that we are unique, that we bring specific added value, and they decided that they were not going to go directly into this market, but rather partner with uh, a, a viable vendor and getting, I would say, the first seal of approval from a company like uh, Checkpoint was a very good start from our point of view. And in the following years, we were able to bring on board really heavy and serious partners that from my experience in the high-tech industry, which is of almost 20 years, I've never seen such a phenomenon. Uh, Today, for example, four plus years afterwards, we have partnerships not only with Continental that acquired us and uh, with Magna that was an investor in Argus. We have partnerships with Qualcomm, NXP, Infineon, ST Micro, Intel, um, Singtel, Ericsson, huge names that from their point of view, were willing to put their name together with us in joint press releases, in public appearances, in going together to customers. Yeah, I can give you an interesting uh, example. In the first two years of the company, we were uh, with one partner at CES. CES, the most important trade show, potentially even globally, for consumer electronics. Absolutely. It's in Vegas every January. So uh, first two years, we were with one partner, which was Magna. So you presented at CES. We presented at CES. Even though your technology is not really a direct-to-consumer technology, it's more of a direct-to-business, a B2B business uh, technology. Uh, Today, CES in the last few years has really become the hotbed for every, I would say, hot or relevant technology. Uh, In the last few years, CES is the place for... Uh, 3D printing, drones, cars, basically. Uh, This is what dominates CES. And if we think about uh, events that, let's say, shaped uh, our, 
I would say, our uh, destiny, our future. One of them was actually CS. Uh, it was, from my perspective, four or five months after I joined the company. We were still very young at that point of time. And in no time, uh, again, chutzpah, we suggested to Magna, who was interested, but not more than that in the company, to go together to CES and have a joint demo of how a vehicle is being hacked and how it could be protected. And in really no time, uh, we were able to come up with a working real demonstration. We took half a vehicle, or at least this is what Magna did from their part. They provided us with half a vehicle. It was cut uh, really in, in the middle. Uh, then we put it when, in when the... You, when you say cut, they literally cut the vehicle down the middle. They literally cut the vehicle in the middle, exactly. I won't name the... Vertical the or horizontal? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the two front seats were still there. Got it. Wow. So uh, we were able to then integrate our intrusion uh, detection and prevention system with our backend uh, platform and actually show at CES, it was for the first time at CES, uh, how a vehicle is being hacked and how it is being protected. And this was kind of what's called the best of show at CES. It attracted huge amount of interest. The, the booth, which uh, our exhibit was in the center of the Magna booth, and basically everybody just came to see that thing. It's created a lot of interest for us. It was exposure, which was worth millions. I have no other way of describing that. It was opening a lot of doors for us, being endorsed at that time as an innovation partner of Magna. Uh, it opened a lot of doors uh, to us, created a lot of traction. And not surprisingly, nine months after, uh, we closed our first or second, sorry, investment round. Uh, if the first investment round was very modest, $4 million, here it was much more significant, $26 million. So Magna participated in that uh, investment round. Allianz, the German company, the world's largest insurer. Um, SoftBank from Japan. Samsung, only to name a few of, of, of the new investors. So CES was kind of a watershed event, or uh, it was kind of crossing a chasm from uh, from our perspective. Um, is that when uh, the Wall Street Journal identified Argus as the top 25 technology company and Inc. named Argus one of the top 20 tech innovators to watch in 2018? That's no, later, I guess. This is a, this is a bit, that's a couple of years or two or three years later. Later. Yeah. Uh, you could say, again, that part of the, the market education thing was to, a lot of it was related also to working with analysts or with the press. Uh, again, in the very early days of the company, at least in the first year or so, we were actually doing it on a personal basis. We did not hire a media relations company. We did it really completely independently. It still created a lot of traction. And um, it came in, in the end, in, ret in retrospect, when I look at the last four uh, and a half years, the amount of media coverage that Argus has been enjoying has been phenomenal is, is, is an understatement. Free PR. Um, I won't say free PR, but um, in a sense, 
we do have a very good and interesting solid story. We are, let's say, sitting on two very hot verticals. One is cyber, second is automotive. So the combination of the two is something which is obviously interesting. The fact in the end that we were able to articulate what we want to say in a manner that was, I would say, appealing to the press obviously helped us. Um, and again, this is something that from my past experience, I, I've really never seen such a, a phenomenon. Again, it's always helpful when you try to educate and create a market. Having the press on your side is obviously uh, helpful. It's actually more than that. You also, the trends now is that government is actually coming to your side. Recently, the U.S. government passed the Spy Car Act and the Security and Privacy in Your Car Study Act, which, again, fuel the need um, for the protections that you guys provide. So yes, governments worldwide are, are becoming active because they see that this is a significant threat. Uh, and there's a kind of a call to arms worldwide in order to, to I would say, make sure that the cars that we see, uh, let's say, from the window out there are actually safe. The fact they are, once they are connected, in the end, that they, they are hackable. Uh, I had the pleasure of, of even testifying before Congress on automotive cybersecurity about three something, three odd years ago. Uh, interesting uh, experience, so to speak. So Anytime same. you testify in front of Congress these days, it seems to be a very interesting experience. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> it was uh, on the same day that Hillary Clinton testified on, on ben the Benghazi affair. So sure. I was on the other room testifying on automotive cybersecurity. Funny enough. I uh, wonder which one got more cameras. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my hearing was behind closed doors. So okay. um, no cameras over there. Uh, but I did have the pleasure of having continued meetings with uh, both senators, congressmen, their staff members. And in the end, I believe I did have some relevant influence on the actual uh, legislation that was put into place. Um, and again, you see um, things like that being done in the UK, uh, in the EU as a whole. Uh, Japan is becoming more active in this respect. And uh, from my perspective, I would say that it's better that the industry, aka, AKA self-regulates, not wait for the regulator uh, or for the legislator to tell it what to do. It's better to be proactive and implement solutions <clears throat> like Argus or, let's say, or even others, uh, instead of waiting either for the regulator or for a disaster to happen or uh, potentially for the courts to tell them that they need to do something. Uh, even today, there, there's a class action uh, lawsuit against uh, a tier one supplier and a, a, an automobile manufacturer for um, a recall that was done three and a half years ago. First industry cyber related uh, recall of 1.4 million vehicles. Uh, so today there's a class action that's so that's, that's public, so, so that's that, public. That, that would be BMW. No, that'll be BMW? Fiat Chrysler. Ah, okay, because in BMW, in 2015, BMW, because they, they uncovered a vulnerability in BMW's connected drive technology, 
-hmm. and they recalled 2.2 million cars as well. So this is a big problem to uh, uncover later on. And if you're not properly connected and can't be fixed, it's potentially is, very, very expensive for these car manufacturers. This is why the slogan secure by design is something that we're trying to make sure that car manufacturers understand that need to think of security from the design phase and implement the right solutions when it's still when things are still in the drawing board, not wait for something to happen once cars are already on the road, then it'll be much more complex, complicated, expensive. So it's it's the notion of being proactive rather than being reactive is something that we've been preaching for all these years. And it's still, there are places in which we have been heard and car manufacturers understand that they do things about that. There are still places that are, in a sense, complacent. Again, in a wait, waiting mode, waiting for things to happen. So there's a, there are a few, I would say, discrepancies here between what I see, let's say, as the threat, which is potentially even imminent, even today as we speak, there are millions of cars that could be hacked. And there are some of the car manufacturers that are still, I would say, in a, are still in an idle mode, waiting uh, for somebody to tell them what to do. So it's a bit, it's a bit complex f from my perspective. How many car manufacturers or clients of yours? Basically, we're working today with all of the all big, of them. Uh, most significant, and even smaller uh, car manufacturers and uh, their tier one suppliers. Argus is not the first company to, or the only company to be involved in automotive cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. there, there are others out there. Yeah. How do you guys differentiate yourself? There are multiple points in which I think that we are different uh, than the others. Uh, one of one of them is really the, one of the basic ones is the fact that we've been there for about five years now. We're, we're, we were kind of first. And in automotive, this means a lot. This means that you have undergone the rigorous testing phase uh, of the car manufacturers, which have two concerns. One, making sure that what you say is actually true, that your product or technologies actually work and do what you say that they do. This is one thing. Secondly, to make sure that your products don't really interfere with the normal operations of a vehicle. Again, sales cycles in automotive and production and, and development cycles are very long, extremely long, four or five years at the minimum. So being there first is a, is a significant key differentiator. And I imagine those clients are very sticky. Once they, they're, they're with you, they're not switching vendors every, every couple of years. You have a right or a valid point. The, potentially the alternative cost of, of switching vendors is significant, specifically in cybersecurity when you can't really do the apples to apples game. Um, so this is one thing. Secondly, we have today the widest array of solutions uh, in the industry, which is based on 50 automotive cybersecurity patents, which is unmatched. Um, the technology itself, as it has been evaluated and tested by the car manufacturers, their tier one suppliers and other independent third parties has been tested again and again and again. And so far, we've always come in as number one. So this is a significant differentiator as well. Besides that, again, we're the largest pure play automotive 
cybersecurity company out there. Uh, today, I think we're about 140, 145. By the end of the year, we'll be 160. So having enough firepower is significant. Also having, let's say, as our in our backs, having Continental as, I would say, uh, a responsible adult, so to speak, or let's say in the sense that we have backing. We're not a startup company uh, as we used to be. We're still young. We're still, I would say, sassy. But I don't have the fear of a customer say, hey, you're a startup. Who knows where you're going to be in five or ten years? You're in good hands. You're, you're in really in great good hands. hands. So this is something which is uh, important as well. You've been listening to Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. I'm the host, Yigal Marcus. The associate producers are Moshe Raps and Avi Maklis, and the senior research analyst is Lior Levin. If you have a startup story that you want to share with us, feel free to reach out to me directly. My email is yigal.marcus at bernstein.com. Or you can also reach us at startupstoriesisrael at gmail.com. Until next time, Thank you for listening.